Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. That's right, everybody. We are back with a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction, Jew and the Gentile edition. I am your host, Johnny the Gentile Profita, the purveyor of so-called fiction. And with me, as always, Johnny the Jew Mandel. Hey, hey. Hello, hello. What's going on, man? Not much. Another ready for another episode of Peddling. Somebody's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. Someone's got to speak the truth. Absolutely. And that is most definitely what we do here on Peddling Fiction. For those of you new listeners not familiar with the show, we talk about politics and current events, always with an eye toward liberty. Some of us, obviously, a little more liberty-minded than others. No offense to Johnny the Jew over there. He's a recovering Democrat. We're, we're trying to kick the final throes of statism out of him. <laughs> but we all have to go through that phase. Some of us come from the left, others from the right. And eventually, hopefully everybody sees the light. Well, that rhymed. <laughs> Not always so poetic on the show. <laughs> but anyway, what's going on, man? Labor Day coming up this weekend. Yeah, we got a three-day weekend. Are you are you going anywhere? you have any plans? Uh, Probably spend the day in Madison, visiting a friend who just had a baby but other than that gonna uh try to get some good weather grill out a little bit your alma mater yep alma mater wisconsin what about you i hopefully i will be getting together with some friends and firing up that grill you know you saw in my fridge that i have a pretty substantial pork butt waiting to be cooked up what was the price per pound I think it was 99 cents a pound. It was something ridiculous. Like that whole thing was under $10. Yeah. I'm amazed at how cheap pork is, the price of pork. Yeah. And so yeah, I saw it at the store. And of course, I was just going in to get like a couple things. And I was like, oh, 99 cents a pound. So I got three of these freaking things. And I only, I think I only brought like one grocery bag with me. You know, in Chicago, they've banned plastic bags. And so they charge you at the grocery store for extra plastic bags. And it is... Have I, they banned them or they just tax them? Um, you're right. Yeah, it's not a ban. It's a tax. And if you're a restaurant or something like, you know, it's takeout food, you're exempt from the tax, but grocery stores have to charge you for it. I think they originally started with a ban. They banned a certain thickness of the plastic bags. And, you know, and then so all of the stores just came out with these extra thick plastic bags that were like five times thicker which is great if you reuse plastic bags but it, i'm sure it ended up using uh, five times more of the plastic material so they they got rid of that and then they started taxing it yeah it's like seven cents a bag right whatever it is i refuse to pay it yeah <clears throat> it is it, it could be a penny a bag and it's one fucking penny that i'm not gonna give right um but anyway, so I had I brought my own bag with me. You know, it was very progressive of me. Nice. And, and uh, so I had to stuff. <clears throat> You're woke, dude. I, yeah, You're totally. Woke. I had to, I had to stuff three of these <laughs> these huge pork bellies or uh, pork shoulders, and and carry it home. And I just threw them in the freezer. And you know, I saw we had a three day weekend coming up. I'm just like, you know what? It's time to cook one of these pork butts up. I don't know if I'm going to smoke it because I don't have a smoker. And I mean, these are so big, they're going to take forever. Slow cook? I might. I mean, I have a pressure cooker. You know what? I, might pressure cook I, I actually learned this uh, about two months ago. A slow cooker is just like a marketing thing. Like you can do the exact same thing in the oven. Yeah. 
that a slow cook, like there's no need for a slow cooker. Right. Other than it kind of looks cute on your counter <laughs> and it's like, sim- you know, and it's like all like a nice little package. Yeah. But your oven works in the exact same way. You just have to cover it with aluminum foil. Yeah. Or if you don't want to cover it, you can kind of get some caramelization on Correct. top. Yeah, which you don't is, need to cover it. Yeah. yeah which so is something that you can't it, get in a slow cooker. It's kind of interesting. I mean, you know, consider me fooled. Like all this time I thought the slow cooker was like doing something different than your oven. Just a really low temperature. Did you know that the the low and the high are the same temperature too? No, I'm and I'm kind of waiting for the reason behind this. Yeah, it. I'm from what I understand, the low setting and the high setting on your slow cooker are the exact same temperature. It's just that it gets to that max temperature faster when you turn it up to high. Yeah, that makes me want to and cry. So it's, and so it's at a higher temperature quicker for so then it's cooking higher at a longer period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> so yeah, hopefully, uh, I'll cook up some delicious pork and, um, get the grill going, do some drinking and some shenanigans, nothing too fancy. I'm not going out of town. I don't think, um, I do owe my parents a visit. I was planning on going there before my sister gets married in a couple weeks. Cool. Where at? Going to be in Milwaukee. Nice. Which, which, which sister? The youngest one. Okay. Tessa. Okay. So, yeah, she's the first of the, the profitas to get married. The the youngest and the first. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so that's going to be on the 14th. And so I got to get down there for that weekend. I was planning on going just for, a, you know, a visit to appease my parents. I don't visit enough. Not a very good son. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> But hey, they can obviously tune into the podcast and hear my thoughts anytime they want. Speaking of which, why don't you tell our listeners what we're talking about today? We got a Brexit update. Yeah. We got a, a Democratic primary race update. Okay. And we got a corn ethanol update. All right. So Brexit is something that we have never talked about on the show. No, we haven't. And... The reason for that is because it's been going on forever for at least three years. Feels more like five. Yeah, three sounds about right. Okay. I mean, that being said, it's not like the easiest thing to, <laughs> to do. It's not like, I oh, know. okay. It's know. one of those things where as soon as I, I saw that they voted for Brexit, I was just like, okay, that's just never going to happen. Like, even if they, so they voted, they will drag it out and it's just probably never going to get done. It's happening. Okay, so well, let's back up. And um, by the I, way, like contrast this to like let's say they like they end the United Nations tomorrow, like nothing would change. You'd be like, oh, okay, you know, a few peacekeeping like you know battalions would basically go back home, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. So okay, so let's back up. Why don't you walk our listeners through this whole bre- what what is Brexit? Okay, so and you might you know have even a better grasp than me, but let's let's just say Brexit is the United Kingdom exiting from the European Union being sort of seen as one unified entity to where you can kind of travel freely between them without, you know, customs or passports or immigration. Um, All of Europe other than the UK and Switzerland has adopted, well, I should say most have adopted the, the Euro as their currency. Um, you know, other types of agreements related to trade and, and defense have all become part of the European Union. And so, you know, a few years ago, three by our count, the United Kingdom basically said, you know what, this is not working for us anymore. We want out. And so they decided to vote a referendum and it, it, they decided to, to leave the UK. And it was very close, probably like 51-49 as far as wanting to leave versus wanting to stay. Right. The European Union is sort of this unified trade and monetary body of these 28 members. There's 28 countries. And the idea is to allow the free flow of goods and people across these countries' borders. So they they adopted the, a common currency that, that's used in every one of the countries, the euro. It's also referred to as the eurozone. And then there are a bunch of bureaucrats that that run the European that sort of govern over the whole European Union. They have like a council 
European Union Council, a commission, and who knows? Who knows what else? And each of the members have to pay dues to be one of the member states, something like that. And and now, okay, so that was, we'll, we'll just call that three years. That was three years ago. And then, you know, like this doesn't usually happen in history other than, you know, after a war or something. And so why did they have this vote? Why, why did 51% of, of these people want to exit? I think just economically, you know, people, it's sort of like this rising nationalism that you've, you've seen throughout the world. People have become skeptical of free trade. People have become skeptical of immigration. People have become skeptical of, you know, basically delegating your power to a, a more centralized, you know, government or entity. And so, People have been against that, and I think that's it's primarily a reaction to that centralization. Yes. So the original principles of the what they called like the leave vote, right? The the reason they wanted to leave was that there were a lot of people in the UK that were fed up with this supremacy of the European Union. And, and sort of being under the thumb of these unaccountable bureaucrats that are running everything from Brussels. They want to be able to spend their money on things that they prioritize, not sending it to, to these un, unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats. They want to take back control of a lot of their domestic policies. They want to renegotiate treaties with, uh, you know, trade treaties and stuff like that. So I, I don't think the, the, the initial impetus for this was that they were skeptical of free trade. They didn't like having to answer to another political body. Everyone in the European Union is subject to whatever the EU decides as sort of like, this is going to be the regulation, and then you're subject to it. And you don't get nearly the kind of representation that you're looking for because they're basically accountable to nobody. Correct. I mean, I think net net, a lot of the the ones who voted to to leave the European Union, who voted in favor of Brexit, said, "Hey, you know what? In retrospect, this has not been a good deal for us." And wrong or right, that's that's sort of the path they they chose to forge. All right. And now, so what is the up? What's the big update? So the big update is, you know, basically since they voted, there's been a lot of controversy as to how this will take place because obviously there's a lot of agreements in place. There's a lot of systems and structures that are in place because of the European Union and the UK belonging to the European Union. And so because it's taken so long, there's sort of been this backlash said, you know what, let's just, you know, do it. And, uh, you know, originally the UK was going to, was willing to negotiate a deal with the European Union as to how the exit would happen in sort of an orderly manner. But I think the counter to this has been, you know what, there's not going to be a deal with the European Union. We're just going to leave sort of in the middle of the night and, you know, whatever happens, happens. Just rip the bandaid off. Rip rip the bandaid off. And so there's a couple of, of really sort of tough issues I think the biggest issue is has to deal with Northern Ireland and Ireland and that there wasn't supposed to be a a border between the two as part of an agreement between uh, Northern Ireland and, and the UK back when there was sort of internal strife and civil war. It basically goes back to Northern Ireland and Ireland were, uh, sorry, uh, Northern Ireland and the UK were at kind of civil war between each other. Um, for a lot of the 20th century. And there was a ceasefire, you know, I think in the late 80s or early 90s. And part of the ceasefire um, and sort of the ending of that civil war was was UK agreeing that Northern Ireland and Ireland wouldn't have a border ever between the two. Because Ireland wanted, Northern Ireland and Ireland wanted like one unified Ireland. And so now because Ireland is part of the European Union, and Northern Ireland is part of the UK, the fact that there will now be a border between the two seems to be sort of a big issue. But I think that's one they, they can work through even if they don't sort of have a wide, you know, a, a wide standing deal. I, I mean, again, this is happening. I guess my question to you would be, what what's your thoughts on Brexit? Like, I know a lot of people from the UK 
in the working world who are kind of white collar, um, who I've come across with in my professional work, who basically were against Brexit and thought it was, you know, a, a huge mistake and kind of an embarrassing, so, embarrassing thing for the UK. Well, let's start with what their argument for it being an embarrassment and a, a bad they idea. they think that integration to the European Union is is progress is sort of economic and societal progress. How so? I think they think that all the sort of benefits of it, meaning free trade, um, being able to work with other European countries on policy, I think they thought that overall that was a, a, a good thing net-net, and they consider that quote-unquote progress. Okay. Yeah, so my my view on this is 180 degrees the other way. I am all for decentralized government. Um, no government at all, in fact. But the less government you have, the better. The closer your representation is to where you live, the better. And I think this is this is Stockholm Syndrome in action. The idea that there's free trade in the European Union is complete nonsense. The idea that any of these countries have free trade is ridiculous. We don't have free trade. We have these thousand-page agreements with all these rules and regulations and all these special interests influencing these agreements free trade is doesn't you don't need an agreement for free trade people can just engage in it and people are so we're we're so propagandized and brainwashed into thinking that we need these wise overlords and we need this government apparatus to protect us and to facilitate all these things Uh, it's i i think it's a disaster well i mean practically speaking the ability to engage in free trade in the European Union and to sort of move freely throughout does depend on membership into the European Union, right? Because in lieu of that membership, now the UK actually has to have a separate agreement with, with the European Union on a number of factors. So Right, but that's only because they have the European Union in place. If you get rid of that, you don't need any of these agreements. Be, free people just engage with each other and they, they just uh, voluntarily interact. But, but yes, b- because you have this European apparatus, the European Union apparatus in place, you have to go through that um, infrastructure. And that's why it's not really free trade. There's foreign uh, countries that are not in the EU. They, they, they can't. There, there's all sorts of rules and regulations keeping their goods and services out. I guess my first question to you is, I am for decentralized government as well. I am for as close to representation as you can get. But my question to you is, are are you for free trade? Are you for the free movement of of people across Europe? Because I kind of see a contradiction in in the viewpoint here in that, you know, you're for all these things and yet you're kind of also for them leaving the European Union. Like, isn't that a bit of a contradiction? No, a- absolutely not. The contradiction is saying I'm all for localized government, but being pro-European Union. That's the exact opposite of localized, uh, decentralized government. I think they're mislabeling things. I don't think what the the European Union says free is free trade is actually free trade. It's government-managed trade. And it's government-managed trade by a bunch of unaccountable bureaucrats. They're bureaucrats of bureaucrats. They're like a, a, a derivative of bureaucrats. It's like the worst possible situation. So if there's any contradiction here, it's, it's the idea that a small, localized government leads to more, more freedom of um, interaction, freedom of uh, uh, more, uh, more liberated people, and, and at the same time being in favor of this leviathan of an unaccountable gov- uh, government of governments. Well, let, let's take out, let's take the bureaucrats out of it. Let's take How any, do you take the bureaucrats out of it? Because it's a bureaucracy. I mean, I'd love to take the bureaucrats out of it. I'd love to take the bureaucrats out of everything. <laughs> That's the point. Yes, but I, I think the European is a relatively light bureaucracy. And I don't even think the backlash is about the quote unquote bureaucracy or the overlords, because I think, you know, in these countries, their governments are still calling sort of the main policy shots. The European has a relatively light hand in policy. What I do think the European is, is a framework 
for free trade and free movement throughout the countries. I think that's what the main backlash is, is that people in the UK who voted against, who voted for Brexit saying, we don't want free trade with the other countries and we don't want free movement with the other countries as well. That's what they're against. I don't think they're against free trade. And, and I really think you're wrong here. I really think you're downplaying the the size and scope of of the European Union. There are thousands of regulations that they impose on all these countries, just blanket regulations. They add to the cost of everything. And it's like you said at the beginning, like it's not localized, so the people don't have any control over it. There, there's no controlling this thing. They're they're <clears throat> against having this this extra layer of bureaucracy getting in the way. I, I think that's a red hair. I mean, it's just like it's like saying you know the workers in Ohio or Pennsylvania, they're against free trade. They're against immigration because they view that that is basically hurting their ability to earn a, a living and an income. And and I think that's the same thing that's happening with with uh, with workers in the UK. They've seen this rising tide of globalization. They've seen their jobs outsourced to Southern Europe or Eastern Europe. I'm sure, no doubt, I'm sure there are a certain percentage of the people who voted for Brexit who are thinking that maybe this is my path toward using my own government to protect my job, something, some sort of protectionism like that. But that, that still does that. Those were not the original, that was not the original charter of this, of this movement. That's not what instigated it. And even if that is why they voted for it, that doesn't mean that withdrawing from the European union isn't a good thing, isn't a liberating thing. This is going to liberate the people of the UK from the control of a, of a, of a massive government apparatus. And it's, the European Union in general, in and of itself, is still protectionist. It's just that it's 28 countries that are protecting themselves from the rest of the world. Like uh, Other countries cannot send their goods, cannot trade freely between these countries. They have, there, there's all sorts of rules against it. So it's protectionism. It's just protectionism for 28 countries instead of one country's protectionism. I, I don't see why you can't just get out of the European Union because it's a disaster and then just to have your own have your own country. I mean they're going to have their own country but again, you know, trade and free movement of labor. I mean before UK businesses might have been able to go to Poland or go to other eastern european countries and say, "Hey, um there's a bunch of labor here that we can we can bring into the country, we can train up and we can have them take jobs at less of a cost than our citizens would would work for." So let's do that. So now those businesses are not going to be able to do it. Or UK business said, you know what? Um, before we had a factory uh, in Eastern Europe and now we're not going to be able to do that anymore. We're going to have to bring the factory back to the UK because we're not going to have you know this free trade framework in place anymore. Can't they just put their own agreements in place? Yeah, but I mean, that's the point of the framework is that it, it sort of is an overarching fr- framework that makes it very easy to do trade with all different countries. So yeah, I think they are going to, but I think it's a lot, it's gonna be a lot more difficult. I also think part of the reason of leaving is they don't, they don't want those frameworks in place. They don't want free trade. No, it's just that they want to have more control over the agreements. They don't want to be, they don't want to have to answer to the European union. I, I don't know how else to say it. And it's not just that, like this whole thing will fit. The EU will fail. It's only a matter of time. You have Greece, Italy, Spain, all these countries are bankrupt. They're not pulling their own weight. They continue to get bailed out. That's another thing. All these, like Germany, UK, you think they like bailing out these countries who don't, who, who don't work at all? That can't go on forever. That's part of it too. They're tired of being taken advantage of by all these freeloading countries. And I, I just know that overall, the more government you can eliminate, the better. Right. I, I think I think the reason is the same thing. I mean, you've got people in this country that want to eliminate NAFTA. You've got people in this country that want to, you know, stop immigration in its tracks because of the economic impact to jobs. Right. But that's the that's why you shouldn't have governments. If you get rid of governments, then those people can't do anything. They can't lobby their government. They can't influence their government to put protections in place to shield them from competition. 
So you get rid of the European Union, you get rid of your other bullshit governments, and then you just have to operate in a free market. That's free trade. Right. That's real free trade. Right. So anyway, yeah. that, that's sort of a little bit of background behind Brexit. Uh, again, that's it's a tough issue because um, depending on where you stand on things like free trade and... No, well, it depends and, on how and, you define free trade. If you define it like the government where they take all these words and they completely pervert the meaning of it like they do with everything, then yeah, free trade. Free trade is managed government trade with thousands and thousands and thousands of regulations blanketing every, everything that you do. Or there's actual free trade with no uh, government coercion involved at all. Yeah. So, so anyway, uh, next topic, we're going to do a race update. Democratic race update, yeah. not, not an update on race relations. <laughs> um, so most recently, uh, as of the airing of this podcast, Kristen Gillibrand, or is it Gillibrand? I think I heard Gillibrand. Doesn't it's matter. Gillibrand <laughs> dropped out of the race. She didn't qualify for the next debates. Yeah. Um, you yes. want to give a little background about that? Right. So they've done the first two rounds of debates and they had like 24 candidates or something like that. And they're trying to whittle down the field. And so in order to qualify for the next round of debates, you had to meet two criteria. You had to have 130,000, I believe it was, individual donors. And it didn't matter how much they donated as long as it could have been a dollar. And that, that counts as a, as a donor. And then you had to qualify at um, you had to rank at least two percent in two separate approved by the DNC polls. That's their way of whittling down this field to, I think they'll be down to 10 when all is said and done for this next round of debates. Yeah, sounds right. Yeah, Kristen Gillibrand did. So she, she didn't just not make the cut. She dropped out of the race altogether, right? She dropped out. Yeah. So she didn't. she wasn't going to make the cut, and I guess she's reading the writing on the wall here. The re I don't know if she even hit 2% in the polls, probably not, but it, I know for a fact she didn't meet the donor threshold of 130,000, and it's, uh, it's pretty funny because I saw her, her campaign a couple days ago seeing that they needed a bunch of donors, started, you know, she's selling these shirts, these Gillibrand 2020 shirts for to fund her campaign, and they were $30 a pop. And she was putting them on sale. All you had to do was donate $1 to her campaign, and she would give you a shirt. And it was sort of a last-ditch effort to try to get, get into this debate. But, you know, I guess somebody else will have to explain to all the white women about their white privilege now that Gillibrand's out, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's funny, this Trump tweeting after this happened. This could be Trump trolling, or this could be what he really thinks. But he said... Uh, Kristen Gillibrand has dropped out of the presidential primary. I'm glad they never found out that she was the one I was really afraid of. <laughs> now, funny enough, I actually thought Gillibrand was a strong candidate. I think Trump basically respects anyone from New York being a New Yorker himself. Um, so I actually think he respected her being a senator from New York. He probably also respects de Blasio, even if he won't admit it ever. Uh, but in this case, he, you know, he might've actually just admitted it. I mean, I think he's trolling. I I never really get it. I mean, what a weird troll, though, if that is trolling. That's funny. Like, yeah, it's funny, but, you know, behind behind every joke is a little bit of truth. <laughs> so so anyway, Gillibrand's out. Um, there was one poll that showed Biden, Warren, and um, Bernie Sanders, yeah. tied. But I read that that poll had a sample size of, get this, 300 people okay okay that's pretty so the the margin for error you, you know the, the director of the poll even said the margin for errors first of all why would you even do a poll of 300 people i yeah. mean you know you and me you and i might as well go out there and do a poll at this point <laughs> just grab 10 people on the street see what they think i could poll our listeners poll our listeners <laughs> but i mean at least then you'd have thousands you've had a respectable one that's right but then uh, I, I read a different thing that, that Biden actually is, is up by by a lot. He's got at least a third. So I think at this point, Biden is comfortably in the lead. So and Biden's your guy, right? He's your horse. He's Me your, personally. I mean, not necessarily you're going to vote for him, but you think he's going to be the nominee. I, I mean, I, I like I'm a percentage guy. So I, I think he probably has about a 50 percent chance. 
which is, you know, flip of a coin. Yes. So I think the field's 50%. I think Biden's 50%. Have, have you been following all of his recent issues? I can put it that way. The last like two weeks. Yeah, like he's, ga- been a, he's been gaff a gaff tra- machine. He's been a train wreck the last two weeks. Gaff machine. So I, he, my thoughts on Biden are, are, I mean, I think he is a very weak candidate. I know he's polling very well, but I just feel like the support for him is literally just because he's the front runner and he doesn't have like a passionate following. Nobody really is all in on Biden the the way they are with Bernie, like Bernie Sanders. Right. Or Warren. I mean, Warren has a lot of intense support. Yeah. And I, I feel like if tomorrow, like let's say that poll wasn't, you know, bullshit. It wasn't just 300 people. Like say it was like, a hundred million people and Biden was polling like below Bernie Sanders. I think all of that Biden support would jump ship the second that he loses yeah. or he starts to slip in the polls. I, I could be wrong, but I think Biden has really strong support among black voters because which of the is, Obama thing. I, I don't quite know Obama why. Connection. I mean, I think there's probably a combination of things. Uh, I think, you know, the fact that he was the VP and he's got great re- name recognition, but you know, black black voters are a really strong constituency yeah. among the Democratic primary. Yeah, they vote like ninety six percent Democrat. Outside of Iowa and New Hampshire, they're really strong. So, but here's the thing: Obama's not even endorsing Biden. Yeah, but you know, at the same time, I'm reading that he's consulting the campaign, and I don't think I don't think Obama needs to. I think a non endorsement is just as good, or almost as good, because it's not like Obama saying, "Well, Joe, you know, maybe you're a little too old," or. I don't know, man. I I remember when Biden had to sort of walk back the fact that Obama wouldn't endorse him. It, you know that he would much rather have a full-throated endorsement from Obama than any behind-the-scenes work that may be going on. I mean, come on, let's get real here. An an endorsement from Black Jesus would go a long way toward helping helping Biden, and he didn't. He's not giving it to him. I don't even think he cared about. I think he only chose him as his VP so they could win Pennsylvania. Maybe. I I, I don't know about this. I, this I read whole a whole project. thing, by the way, about uh, it was him, Kane, and uh, one other guy who was like the potential VP. And I think Biden was, was done because Obama had worries about if he won, how he would actually govern this thing, right? And he thought that Biden kind of came with this wealth of experience, which is kind of funny to me. Um, what, what is he like? What is Biden running on though? What's his pitch to America? Back to normalcy. (laughs) Return to normal. Uh, Yeah, I guess. I mean, I watch, I watch his campaign ads and it's like, yeah, I'm going to restore the soul of America. Can, Can I tell you something? Do you remember? I mean, look, Obama, love him or hate him. And I know you hate him. But yeah, not Ob- my favorite. Obama, love or hate him. I remember going weeks without ever hearing about the president of the United States, without ever hearing about Obama. I'd go weeks, okay? Nothing in the news. You go off to Hawaii for a few weeks. I well, don't know. That's because he was a Democrat and he had the mainstream media in his pocket. I they, mean, they gave him a lot of, they threw him a lot I of I mean, shade, dude, he's man. not tweeting like, hey, Fox News no longer works for me. We got to find a new network, right, on a daily basis. He or, definitely didn't tweet as much, but. I mean, if the if the media covered Barack Obama like they did Donald Trump, you you would have been hearing a lot more about him. You would have. Yeah, I mean, yeah. or you could just you know maybe Obama was more Republican and and Trump is more Democrat, and that's just how our crazy effed up system ends up working out. That you can only do things that you know uh, basically the opposite party would ever do. It'd be a good political study. <laughs> Well, I mean, Barack Obama is basically a Republican now compared to the the Democratic platform. That, yeah, that's I mean, if now. you look at a lot of the policies, other than, I mean, other than healthcare. So, but I I just I don't think that Biden has a very compelling message. Return to normalcy. It's like okay, fine. Like he he's playing up Charlottesville like it was this huge thing. It was like a couple of years ago. That's his big thing. Like Charlottesville, return to normalcy, and I'm Obama's guy. I will say I think the policy differences between both parties have kind of been whittling away for like the last 30 or 40 years. Yeah. Um, 
So we're not seeing a big gap. And so, yeah, you have to, you're running on personality and, and what I can do now. That being said, you know, Bernie and Warren do have some big policy differences. I will say I, I saw a poll that 22% of Democrats support Medicare for all, which is surprisingly weak. I mean, I, I thought it was a lot higher. So I think given that Warren and Sanders candidacies are in trouble because if you can't, I mean, that's their signature issue. If you can't get even, you know, more than a fifth or a fourth of of potential voters to And that's among that. Democrats, right? Correct. That's not even among uh, all voters. Correct. And I this was a few weeks ago. I I he- I heard this poll and the numbers were similar to that, but they like the top 5 democratic platform issues like climate change, uh Medicare for all, like reparation, like all this stuff was polling insanely low among the general population and even when you got into the the, the Democrats, it was like, yeah, they they couldn't even get above 50% on any of them. Yeah. So there does seem to be a major disconnect between the, the democratic party and democratic voters. And I think a lot of that, it has to do with the fact that the extreme is pulling the, it's pulling the candidates to the left. It, it's forcing them to take, it's forcing them to take unpopular opinions in order to, to to sort of win over the support, this is the the party has moved toward Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, and and yeah, all these polls are are saying that that is not what mo- the majority of American people are 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 interested in. So, you know, yeah, you may win the the primary with these far left views, but when it comes to a general, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in a lot of trouble if you're running on these issues. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, who who else we got? Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. They're basically going to like you can't have both of them, right? Yeah, they they, they, they peel all the voters same. from each other. Yeah. yeah. And I know I've been seeing a lot with Elizabeth Warren gaining support, which to me is insane. I I I can't I mean Maybe she will get the nomination just because it would be the dumbest thing for the Democrats to do, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I don't think she will. No. I, I really don't. I mean, I again, Biden's 50%. The field's 50%. I give her about a 10% yeah, right. chance. Bi- I mean, I, I view Biden like I do um, or like I did Job? Jeb Bush. Yeah, He's the Jeb Bush, man. And, and Biden doesn't have to deal with Trump, though. Not yet. I'm saying in the primary. Yeah, but I mean, he doesn't have to deal with anybody. Like, you could just let that guy talk. He doesn't have to have um, somebody coming at him. He will He will destroy himself if right. you just let him talk he, long enough. Here's my question. Do you see a November surprise on the primary? I mean, I've always thought this. You could have someone swinging like Zorro, yeah. okay, to quote Elaine Bennis, all right, wearing the, the puffy shirt, yeah. okay, swinging from a chandelier, okay, and and just sort of hijack this whole thing. Couple names come to mind. Mike Bloomberg. Yeah. Haven't heard his name in a while. If I was twenty billion if I had twenty billion dollars just laying around in my bank account and I was the ex mayor to the largest city in America, mm-hmm. why the hell wouldn't I throw my hat in the ring? Howard Schultz. If I had five billion dollars just hanging around in my in my bank account, I already said I wanted to run for president. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't I jump in? So well, he didn't really get met with a lot of uh uh, with a warm reception when yeah, you floated that idea, but that was true. before they got to see this this field of candidates. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it, like if I if I were a Democrat that wanted to run, what would cause more media at the right time than coming in in like October yeah. or November? No, I, I think you it's know, a very. By the way, fuck a ground game. Fuck an organization. You think Trump had a ground game? No, he had name. He had Twitter, and he had like almost a hundred percent name recognition. Correct. Already. Right. Um, the th- and the media covered his every move. The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, I, I, dude. Or Oprah. Again, I I could see a big name swinging in. You Absolutely. know, I'm I'm still shocked Mike Bloomberg's not running. Yeah, no, I I think there is a strong possibility that we have not seen the candidate that's going to win this um, nomination yet. And and by the way, if there's one thing Trump respects, it's guys that made a lot of money. I'm curious what his uh, his thing with Bloomberg would be. <laughs> Yeah, that would be. I mean, Mike Bloomberg calling Trump poor would just be like the highlight of the election. It would. 
Dude, I will never forget. This is I, I forget the context of this, but I will never forget when Trump said it because they were comparing him to Mitt Romney. And they're like, oh, you know, like Mitt Romney was a really rich guy and he had trouble sort of connecting with the average American voter. And Trump was like, first of all, I know Mitt Romney. He's not that rich. (laughs) 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 Just like, yeah, like Trump's a billionaire with a B, um, at least allegedly. And, you know, Mitt Romney had like a couple hundred million. And he's like, yeah, you know, he's not that rich. Okay, let's get that straight. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then, of course, he was the exact opposite of Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney and all these Republicans are always apologizing for their wealth. And Trump just comes out there and like a, you know, a gold escalator, (laughs) such a pompous prick. Oh man. And that's one of the reasons why the left can't stand him. Uh, On the left, you have to apologize for success. You have to apologize for your wealth. And Trump is unapologetically rich and white and they can't stand that. And a huge, a huge portion of America, they love that. They love the bling. They love the the pompousness. But yeah, I, that that's a that's a good point. I don't I don't know if we've um, if we have all our candidates yet. I did make a bet, by the way, a few weekends ago. Someone I said uh, I got ten to one odds that Booker would get the nomination. Ten to one, huh? Yeah, I bet twenty bucks. Well, at least you got odds. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'd, I'd probably give him more of like a three percent or five percent, but something about Booker, I don't know. What was? Do, do you have that poll up? What What did he poll at? Let me Let me take a look at it. Yeah, pull it up. So while so, I pull, yeah. yeah. So well, among the other candidates that did not make the cut is our dear, 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 dear friend of the show, Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah, she's not hanging it up though, is she? No, I. As far as I know, she's hanging in, and and Tulsi Gabbard is. 100% getting the Ron Paul treatment, in my opinion, at this point, which is where you just kind of get ghosted by the media. They don't talk about you. She had a very strong second debate. She was the most Googled candidate, I think, after both debate performances. And she polled, so she she definitely met the donor threshold of 130,000 individual donors. She polled at 3% in a couple poll, like the two big primary state, like early primary states in their, their major newspaper polls. She polled at 3%. The DNC said those polls didn't qualify. Um, the ones that uh, the, the, DNC, the DNC approved, she didn't make the 2% cut. So she's out of this next round of debates. I think that's a shame. She's the only, she's the only candidate that has a, a sort of a different message. Right. At, at least first and foremost, she's anti-war, which I of course like being a, a huge proponent of the non-aggression principle. And in just so many, I mean, she's so bad on just about every other issue. It, it's very difficult for me to sort of look the other way on all of her other policies. But I just want to see, I would like to see her in the debates getting a couple minutes, even though she always kind of flubbed her opening and closing statements. But just to get her message out there and have to have the other candidates deal with it. I think that's a that's a big loss. I can't believe that like Beto O'Rourke is still in it. How did that guy qualify? I don't know. Probably a big donor, He's the most, donor base. Uh, but He's, why? I don't know. Because he almost won a, an election in Texas. I mean, that guy is terrible at this. He is terrible at campaigning. Everything he does is all like. Did you see him trying to cook the other day? No. So he was trying to do, he said he was going to not do any more of these like cheesy, you know, like totally staged videos and stuff like that. And here he is cooking in his kitchen. He's making hamburgers. All right. And he's got a couple pans going. He's making a, he's making a double cheeseburger and he puts it on an English muffin. (laughs) So he made a a, a double cheeseburger, you know, stovetop in a pan. And then he put it on a plate with uh, an, it looked like an untoasted. English muffin and a side of broccoli. And it's just like, yeah, <laughs> everything yeah. that guy does is awkward and hilariously pathetic. That was the most pathetic burger I've ever seen. An English muffin and steamed broccoli. What the hell is this guy doing? He can't even make a burger. He's like a fucking alien. He's, he's an alien. He's pretending to be a human. Even his arm motions are f- like, he, he looks like a robot. 
waving his arms around and his cadence. Oh, his cadence. He reminds me of Edgar from <laughs> from Men in Black, you know, where he's he's an alien inside of a human a human skin and he's just moving it around. And it wasn't Edgar, it was uh something it was like something was wearing Edgar. It's like something's wearing Beto O'Rourke and pretending to be a human being and failing miserably at it. He qualifies. Tulsi's out. Okay, great. He doesn't have a shot. He he's 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 gonna be done. Booker's yeah. by the way one to three percent. One to three percent. Yeah, but you know as the field narrows, you get a little more airtime. Um, so yeah, and then um, Juan Castro or Julian, Julian Julian Castro Julian. Yeah. Um, he's still in there. One one to three percent as well. I, I uh, Yang Gang's in it, right? Yang Gang made it. Did he? I'm pretty sure he qualified like a week or two ago. By on what basis? I'm I'm both polling and donors. Three three percent. Yeah. So yeah, he he's he, in it. He wants libertarians in his camp. Yeah, I know he does. He specifically <laughs> called out libertarians. He's the only one that addressed us personally. Yeah. So I don't I don't see Trump <laughs> addressing libertarians anytime soon. No, Trump. I mean, no. So Trump has a challenger. Correct. That's another thing we need to. Joe I mean, Walsh. Joe Walsh. I not the singer. <laughs> So I, I don't know much about this guy other than the fact that he has like a radio show, a popular conservative radio show. He did. Did. Got canceled. Got canceled. All right. And I saw him announce on Twitter that, that, that you know, Donald Trump's unfit to, unfit to rule. And so he's challenging him. You know, Donald Trump did have like a, a minor meltdown, I guess you could call if you want to call it minor, last week with, with these tariffs. And he just started tweeting like a madman going back and forth with China. Right. And, and I think that's what uh, at least sealed, sealed the deal for Joe Walsh. I, I don't know why he's wasting his time. That seems like a complete waste of time to me. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I hate saying it, but Trump's not in the greatest of health. So if, if he steps down, decides not to run because of that. What or, are you talking about? He's in terrific health. Right. He's tremendous. So, you know, Joe Walsh is maybe thinking, health. hey, you know, maybe I can kind of get this thing happens to Trump. we've ever had. So I, besides Joe Walsh, by the way, Joe Walsh, his, his Twitter feed's almost as funny as Trump's because there's, there's a lot of good stuff on the Walsh Twitter feed. Let me, uh, let me pull up some stuff. Yeah, I wonder if that's ever actually. Uh, I don't know. I, there, there's so many. Donald Trump has had an unbelievable ability to get Republicans to just lick his boots, no matter what he does. Like you were talking off air, I think about that tweet that he had where he's like, "I hereby order all these companies to yeah. start like divesting from China and not trading with them or something like." If if any other president, if, if Barack Obama had said that, every Republican would be up in arms. I mean, they're just, already they already accused like the Democratic Party of being like sort of a a a front for communism. That's about as close to like a centrally planned command you can get, yeah. right? Well, I don't know if they're far off on that, but <laughs> just the, the things that they're willing to overlook just because and justify just because it's their guy doing it. The the bump stocks, the silencers, the uh, the red flag laws that he's floating out there now, like all of these, um, the last vestiges of the of the Republican Party, like the only things that they stood for, because it, it is like Michael Malice said, Republican or um, conservatives are, I misquote him, he loves it when that happens. Uh, conservatives are progressives driving the speed limit. And the country has, and as you were saying, the gap between Republican and Democratic platforms has been closing. That's because the Republicans continue to move left. They continue to capitulate on just about every issue. The, the Democratic issues have, have won over society. And now Trump comes in and he's able to get, he's able to chip away at the last vestiges of the Republican Party. It really is unbelievable to me. By the way, one last thing I want to talk about was these corn ethanol rules. So mm -hmm. can we uh, can we actually transition to that? Sure. So basically, um, oil companies have now gotten wave waivers before they had to put a certain amount of ethanol in their oil, and now they have gotten 
waivers that mean they don't have to blend ethanol into the gasoline. And from a data perspective, roughly 40% of the U.S. corn crop is turned into ethanol. So this is a huge blow to corn farmers. And I think farmers support Trump like something like 85%, uh, which again kind of speaks to that rural-urban divide. Mm -hmm. Trump has most of his support in rural areas or his strongest support for sure. And so, you know, it's kind of interesting what's going on here. China is not buying agricultural commodities from the U.S., from farmers. And now farmers are getting doubly hit because some of their crops that used to go, you know, that used to kind of stimulate demand um, are now kind of taking it on the chin as well. So I kind of want to hear your your thoughts to this because I I think you have some really good points to bring up about, you know, law of unintended consequences and, you know. Yeah, there's there's no reason for us to have ethanol in our mixed in with our gasoline. As far as I know, there's no benefit to it. This is one of those things where you get this crony capitalism where the government is in bed with with these companies. These companies lobby the government to get their to get their competitive edge and so yeah, the, the farmers don't have to worry about selling their coal, their their corn because it's mandated that 10% of it has to be mixed in with our gasoline. This is a perfect example of one of the issues that we see with public choice theory, and it's a function of government, it's a function of democracy when you have a concentrated benefits and diffused costs. What I mean by that is to me and you, to the average person, the cost of the okay so yeah the, the ethanol and the gasoline so it costs like a few cents more per gallon of gasoline okay it, yeah it sucks but is it really worth my time to read up on ethanol to figure out the correct position on this and then to go write my congressman and, and throw a huge tantrum over this no no we all have better things to do it's only a you know it doesn't cost us that much in the grand scheme of things but to the corn producers to the farmers this is hundreds of millions of dollars right this is this is very important to them this is their livelihood so they're getting the concentrated benefit and they're diffusing the cost of it throughout society and and by the nature of it being so much more important to them and so unimportant to the vast majority of people well uh, who do you think is going to lobby their congressman? Uh, it, it, is it going to be the person who who has who stands to benefit from the ethanol, or the person who's like, yeah, okay, whatever, it kind of sucks, but I don't really care. So, which way is the congressman going to lean on this? Obviously, obviously, they're going to they're going to side with the corn producers because they're not going to lose the votes of the general public but they'll gain the votes of the of the corn produce, of the farmers and they'll probably line their pockets in the process and even though society, overall society the vast majority of people would be better off without these this ethanol additives into our gasoline even though it benefits a very small number of people at the expense of the majority we end up with this policy anyways it's another great failure of democracy, public choice theory. You you see this a lot with sugar, with with sugar tariffs. You see, it's very it's very expensive to produce sugar in the U.S. because we do not have the right climate for it. But all of the sugar producers in the U.S. have lobbied the government to put tariffs on sugar being imported from the the, the countries where it's much easier for them, where sugar grows naturally. So they they artificially make foreign sugar more expensive to make domestic sugar more attractive. And so all of the American people end up paying more for sugar. But yeah, it's a couple. So it's like 30 cents more for a bag of sugar. And it's not much to you and me, but to the sugar producers, it's hundreds of millions of dollars. It's same. It's the same exact thing. Concentrated benefit, diffused cost. It plagues our system, plagues it. And by the way, produce prices in the U.S. are like outrageous compared to other countries. And I think part of that is because you have all these corn crops that are going into ethanol. It could be going to other crops that are more fun, like tomatoes and eggplants. Yeah, yeah, and better for you. 
And better for you, yeah. right? So yeah, I, anytime you get rid of a mandate, I, I see it as an absolute win. I mean, this is one of those things where they they just need to get rid of this mandate altogether. There, there's no, there is no. This is this is literally just to appease the the farmers. That that that's the only reason why they're putting corn in our gasoline. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it just drives me crazy when these when these companies. But this is what happens when you have a, a government that that is this large that controls large sectors of the economy has four trillion. It's spending four trillion dollars a year. We got the largest government the world has ever seen, the most powerful government the world has ever seen. Of course. There's going to be farmers lobbying to get their corn put in this or this food mandated in that. And you're, you're going to get all of these lobbyists, lobbyists from the banks to get banking regulations, lobbyists from the car companies. See, one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is that these large companies, they, they like the government regulation because... It, they have the infrastructure in place. They have the economies of scale where they can absorb the costs, the cost of compliance, the regulation, the fees and fines that they might have for, for not abiding by the rules. And the government get is so, it, the government uh, like recruits them to write the legislation. Like these these congressmen and they don't know how to they don't know anything about the the car industry or the banking industry they get they get the guys the heads of the big banks together and they have them write the legislation and obviously they're going to write the legislation that favors them that limits their competition and then you end up with instead of you know thousands and thousands of smaller banks you get a handful of large banks that are now too big to fail and anything that the government does, it just makes these. It makes it easier for them to consolidate. It makes them bigger and bigger. Limits competition. You see it in the banking industry. You see it in the see it in the healthcare industry, in the tech industry. You know, Congress brought Zuckerberg in front, made made him testify in front of Congress, and asked him if he'd be willing to write their legislation for him. Of course he would. Of course. You know, he had to hide, but he had to hide the laughter when they asked him that question. You see it in the. Uh, the auto industry with these emission standards that I just saw an article the other day where, you know, Donald Trump might've tweeted this where he was like, I'm going to freeze, freeze the Obama emission standards where they are. We'll, we'll, we'll keep them there. We won't increase them. That will make cars $3,000 cheaper for the customers. And it will ease the regulation burden on all of the auto industry and the executives over it, like whatever aren't going for it. Stupid executives. <laughs> it's just like, no, they're not stupid. They know exactly what they're doing. They don't care if the car is cheaper for you as long as their competitors have to abide by these ever-increasing standards, which cost more and more money. They can afford that, and they can, and they can afford the fines if they, if they don't abide by it. But your competitors can't, and so they're, they're limiting their competition. Although Tesla can, ironically. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're in bed with the government too. They're getting a lot of subsidies, but yeah. Um, well, the consumer is, but yeah, for sure. But, and so the consumer is the one that loses. Now you have to pay three thousand dollars more for your car. Now you only have three or four banks that you can go to. It, it's just a complete disaster. This whole system that that we've got now, where government is just so intertwined with all of our companies, it it just creates so much moral hazard, and they've completely. They've completely corrupted the the capitalist system, and that and everybody now thinks that what we have now is free market capitalism. And when it fails, when this all goes bad, and every signal in the economy is flashing recession now, when this goes bad, it's going to be free market capitalism that gets blamed for this. When we we are so far from that, but they pervert the meaning, they pervert the definition of capitalism, and then capitalism gets blamed for failures of socialism. And once that happens, if this all falls apart on Trump's watch, we may end up with a full-blown socialist as our next president. And and look out, they're they're, they're talking about blow. You thought the deficits were bad now, they're going to blow the roof off this thing. We need to get the government. Out of see Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, they will tell you that the answer to this is you just need to vote in the right people and they will clean up the government. They will get rid of the corruption. That's never going to happen. As long as you have a government like this wielding that much power, there will always be somebody there lobbying for that influence. 
the only way to get rid of it is to take the power away from the government. You're never going to get the money out of out of politics. You have to get the power out of politics, and then there's no reason to lobby for them, and you have to compete in the free, open market. Truly free market capitalism. Whew. All right. All right. Anything to add to that? No. Sort of went off on a little tangent. There. I think that'd be good to wrap up on. Anything you want to plug? Nothing to plug, man. Just uh, good feelings. <laughs> All right. Good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes. All right. Well, okay. I thank you all very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you learned something. If you enjoyed the show, go ahead and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Share the show with at least two of your friends, two people that you think would enjoy it, maybe one person that you think would just need to hear it. Follow us on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. If you want access to the world's best meme folder, you have to follow me on Twitter. And if you want to become a supporting member of the show, go to our website, peddlingfictionpodcast.com. Remember, it is you guys listening, you guys sharing the show, and you guys donating to the show that keeps this going, that keeps this show on the road. So if you can do all that, we will be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then... Just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Fiction.